From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. In today's podcast, a sign of omission. The presence of beta-PPA increased the risk of progression by 159%. First this. Following our podcast today, we'll have a message about the upcoming ASCRS Glaucoma Day 2011 at the ASCRS ASOA Symposium and Congress in San Diego. Pressure is important, but don't lose sight of the vision. Glaucoma Day features critical updates, robust debates, and interactive case studies on what comprehensive ophthalmologists and anterior segment surgeons need to know about glaucoma management. What are the signs of glaucoma on physical exam? Enlarged cup-to-disc ratio, elevated intraocular pressure, Focal nerve fiber layer loss, sometimes visible with green light. Okay, what are the signs of impending visual field loss on physical exam? That's a lot tougher, since all the signs I named are evidence of prior damage and may not indicate future progression. When I think of signs of impending progression, I think disc hemorrhage. If, and it's a big if, you happen to examine the patient before the hemorrhage resorbs, Is there no sign of impending visual field loss that is less ephemeral? Chris Tang says that there is, and it is with special pleasure that I welcome my old friend to a scene from here today. We're going to talk about beta zone peripapillary atrophy. What is the beta zone, and for that matter, what's the alpha zone? Beta zone peripapillary atrophy, it's an area of chorioretinal degeneration that's located adjacent to the optic nerve. Now, it's characterized by atrophy of the retinal pigment epithelium and choriocapillaris. There's thinning of the chorioretinal tissues, and you can see visible sclera and choroidal vessels on clinical exam. Alvazone PPA is characterized by irregular hypo and hyperpigmentation of the retinal pigment epithelium, and there's thinning of the chorioretinal tissue layer. It's located peripheral to the beta zone PPA when the beta zone is present. So the beta zone is adjacent to the nerve, and the alpha zone is adjacent to the beta zone PPA. In the diagram that you show in the paper, the alpha zone that you outline was just on the temporal side of the nerve. Is, is the alpha zone only temporally? Mostly it's temporal, but it can also be present nasally. Now, in terms of where PPA is mostly located in all the studies, they say that it's mostly located in the temporal area, then inferior temporal, and then superior temporal area in terms of where it's located the most. So alvazone can be located in other places, but most often it's located in the temporal area of the nerve. Do alpha and beta zone atrophies have different effects on the visual field, Chris? Uh, yes, they do. Beta zone PPA represents atrophy of the RPE and the choriocapillaris, and that correlates with the marked loss of the retinal pigment epithelial cells and retinal photoreceptors. Alphazone PPA is pigment irregularities in the RPE. Therefore, the alphazone produces a relative scotoma and betazone produces an absolute scotoma. Prior to your study, what was known about the association between peripapillary atrophy and glaucoma? Well, well, first, let me give a little background on PPA. 
Uh, Dr. Anton Elschnig, he first wrote about PPA in the early 1900s, and then Dr. Buchler studied it more in the 1920s. Those were the real first mentions of uh, PPA. Then in the 1970s, Dr. Primrose, he wrote about the incidence of peripapillary halo-glaucomatosis, and then later work by Jacob Walensky and Alan Kolker studied the peripapillary changes in glaucoma and reported more extensive peripapillary atrophy in glaucomatous eyes. In the 1980s, Doug Anderson and Anders Heil, they began to study the correlation of PPA with visual field defects, and they found location of PPA to be correlated with location of the visual field defect. Joe Jonas wrote, in my opinion, the seminal paper on PPA in 1989, in which he differentiated PPA into the alpha zone and beta zone, the classification that we use today. This was a two-part paper describing the morphologic features and correlations of PPA. I think I should also add that in the past, PPA has been described using the word peripapillary and parapapillary. Which one should be used? This was addressed uh, by Dr. Van Buskirk in an editorial in 1999 in the journal Glaucoma. He said that peri means encircling something and para means being beside or near the second element. Well, since not all PPA encircles the optic nerve, parapapillary atrophy is probably the more accurate term and is the one that we are currently using in our paper. What we know now is that alpha zone PPA is present in both normal and glaucoma patients and is peripheral to the beta zone. Beta zone PPA is more common in glaucoma patients in approximately 62% of glaucoma patients in Dr. Jonas's study. We found it in our study to be 65%, which is similar. Now, beta zone PPA is also present in 15 to 20% of normal patients. What's also been shown? Beta zone PPA is associated with glaucoma independent of ethnicity, meaning that ethnicity does not affect the presence of beta PPA. It's not associated with any other vascular optic neuropathy, so eyes with arteritic or non-arteritic ischemic optic neuropathy are not associated with beta PPA. One study showed that in eyes with beta PPA that developed non-arteritic anterior ischemic optic neuropathy, that PPA doesn't enlarge. The increase in size of PPA is also associated with progressive glaucoma. So there can be an increased amount of PPA as glaucoma progresses. And as we mentioned, the location of the most marked visual field loss corresponds to the largest PPA area. In terms of uh, optic nerve features, many studies have looked at beta PPA and disc hemorrhages and found that there's an association between disc hemorrhages and PPA. There's a larger beta zone at a thinner optic nerve rim, and there's also more disc hemorrhages present in eyes with the larger beta PPA. In terms of different types of glaucoma, beta PPA is larger in myopic glaucoma than in primary open angle glaucoma. It's also been shown to be larger in eyes with exfoliation glaucoma and pigmentary glaucoma. For normal tension glaucoma, some studies have shown a larger beta PPA and some have not. Now, in regards to the etiology of PPA, there are many theories. There's a vascular theory in which there may be decreased uveal blood flow to the nerve causing PPA. There's also a theory that implicates an age-related degeneration of the RP Brux membrane complex that resembles ARMV. There's another theory that says PPA could be due to aging of the nerve in the context of optic nerve head biomechanics. Now, this says that the aged nerve has been shown to have less deformation ability due to a stiffer lamina cabrosa. This decreased pliability could be a reason for the formation and progression of PPA. 
Chris, what question did your study seek to answer? Beta-PPA is known to be associated with glaucoma, but we wanted to see what effect beta-PPA had on the risk and the rate of glaucoma progression. And Chris, can I get you to describe the design of your study? This design was a retrospective comparative study that consisted of a large chart review and data analysis, and we called it the New York Glaucoma Progression Study. New York Glaucoma Progression Study is a retrospective study initiated in a glaucoma referral practice, um, Glaucoma Associates of New York at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary, that included over 43,000 patients and 130,000 visual field exams from 1999 to 2008. The records of all subjects with established glaucoma and repeatable visual field loss, optic nerve photographs, and nine or more pseudostandard visual field exams were reviewed for entry into the study. From this group, eyes with a confocal scanning laser ophthalmoscopy, or HRT, and at least five visual fields after the HRT date in either eye and less than six diopters of myopia were enrolled. Now, we initiated this study to look at factors for progression in a real-world glaucoma population. You know, there's been a lot of studies in glaucoma, and we were hoping to bridge the data from the major clinical trials to what we see in daily glaucoma practice. With regard to this study, what was your main outcome measure, and how did you define visual field progression? The main outcome measure was the relationship between betazone PPA and the rate and the risk of glaucoma progression. Visual field progression was defined as a glaucoma hemifield test result outside normal limits on at least two consecutive baseline visual field tests, and the presence of at least three contiguous test points within the same hemifield on the pattern standard deviation plot. We used automated point-wise linear regression analysis using Progressor software, which is out of uh, the UK, which uses trend analysis to analyze sequential visual fields over time. Briefly, to analyze visual fields, there's event-based analysis and trend-based analysis. Event-based analysis compares a follow-up visual field to its baseline. A common software for this is uh, called the Glaucoma Progression Analysis Software, or GPA. Trend analysis uses regression analysis to measure rates of change over time, and the Progressor software is an example of this. Progressor assesses progressing points in a field, then plots the sensitivity over time and generates a slope. The average of all points provides a global rate and rate of progression and significant values. Chris, what were your results? What were your findings? We enrolled 245 eyes in the study. The mean age was 70, with 62% women. We found betazone PPA in 146 eyes, 65%. The average betazone PPA size was 0.93 millimeters squared. Now, this was consistent with uh, Dr. Jonas's study, which found betazone PPA size to be 0.8. In univariate analysis, we found significant influence of central corneal thickness, baseline intraocular pressure, mean IOP, IOP fluctuation, betazone PPA area, betazone PPA area to disc area ratio, and presence of betazone PPA on visual field progression. When we ran multivariate analysis that included betazone PPA area as a categorical variable, meaning the presence or absence of betazone PPA, we found that mean IOP, 
IOP fluctuation and presence of beta zone PPA were statistically significant. Then, when comparing the global rate of progression, eyes with beta PPA had a faster rate of progression compared to eyes without beta PPA. Um, approximately beta zone PPA eyes had a rate of minus 0.84 decibels per year loss, and eyes without it had a rate of minus 0.51 decibels per year. Now this, uh, to put progression values into context, moderate progression is 0.5 to 1.5 dB per year. Our data was consistent with previous studies, and we were able to provide specific progression values for eyes with beta zone PPA. Now, your data demonstrate a correlation between beta zone parapapillary, excuse me, parapapillary atrophy and myopia. No shocker there. Did beta zone parapapillary atrophy correlate with visual field progression independent of myopia? When we compared the baseline characteristics of the two groups, people with beta zone PPA compared to those without, the only significant factor between the two groups was myopia in that the eye with beta PPA had more myopia than the eyes without. Now this has been well documented by previous researchers. When we included refractive error in our univariate and multivariate model, it was determined that refractive error was not a significant factor for visual field progression. Let me just comment on myopic PPA compared to alpha and beta zone PPA, normal PPA if we can call it. It's been shown that the myopic scleral crescent present in highly myopic eyes differs histologically from the glaucomatous beta zone in non-highly myopic eyes. In the region of the myopic crescent, only the inner limiting membrane and underlying retinal nerve fiber layer or its remnants cover the sclera, whereas in the glaucomatous beta zone, Bruch's membrane and the choroid are interposed between the remnants of the retina and the sclera. Suggesting loss as an etiology for PPA in the glaucoma patients as opposed to just absence in the myopic patients. Yes. Chris, when you viewed PPA as a categorical variable, meaning its presence or its absence, you demonstrated a correlation with visual field progression. But did the extent of beta zone parapapillary atrophy matter? Initially, we thought that the extent of the beta zone PPA would be the most important factor. But when we ran the models, we found that the mere presence of beta PPA to be more important than the actual size of PPA. In our model, the presence of beta PPA increased the risk of progression by 159%. Now, this suggested to us that once beta zone PPA has developed, the ensuing continued insult to the regional optic nerve complex, which is comprised by the optic disc, retinal nerve fiber layer, and parapapillary region, results in a greater susceptibility to progression that is relatively more important than the actual size. So simply stated, we found that the presence of beta zone PPA is a more important marker to gauge for visual field progression than the size of beta zone PPA. Were there other factors that were associated with visual field progression in your data? Uh, in the multivariate model, mean IOP, IOP fluctuation, and presence of PPA were the most significant factors. This confirmed the importance of mean IOP, which was shown by the OATS group and the EMGT group, and IOP fluctuation, which was shown by the AGIS group. Now, older age has been associated with increased risk of progression in various clinical trials, though this was not confirmed in our study. One possible explanation could be that the study was biased by selecting a population 
with established and treated glaucoma from a referral practice based on the number of visual field tests, which doesn't match the randomization criteria of the major clinical trials. Also, our population was substantially older than that in the ocular hypertension treatment study, so this may have been why age was not significant in our study. Chris, if I have a patient who comes into my office who's myopic and has parapapillary atrophy, does the parapapillary atrophy that's associated with myopia and the parapapillary atrophy that's associated with glaucoma look different on exam? It, it's a good question, Josh, and it's really difficult to, to answer. I mean, it doesn't look different clinically. So when you see these patients with high myopia, their nerves are typically very difficult to examine. But based on what we found, one of the features that you could look for is the parapapillary atrophy in assessing the optic nerve. Chris, how do we apply these findings to our own practices? For example, if you have a patient with glaucoma with beta zone parapapillary atrophy, do you see the patient more frequently or treat the patient more aggressively? I think our study adds to what is already known about beta-PPA in that it is profoundly associated with glaucoma. Dr. Jonas has called beta-zone PPA a variable of second order. That's secondary to optic disc size, total neuroretinal rim area, and cup-to-disc ratio. Now, these are features directly on the nerve itself. So for beta-PPA to be of second order importance speaks of its importance in glaucoma. In clinical practice, I've been writing a few key features of the nerve on the exam. Vertical cup-to-disc ratio, notches, nerve fiber layer defects, disc hemorrhages, and more recently, the presence of beta-PPA or not. Beta-PPA might actually be more important than disc hemorrhages because disc hemorrhages disappear over one to three months, but beta-PPA stays around forever and even enlarges over time. Of course, Clinical context is important regarding beta-PPA, as it is with all nerve features. I don't necessarily increase treatment or be more aggressive, but the presence of beta-PPA does give me a heightened awareness about the patient's condition and disease. Chris Tang, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. It was fun, Josh. Chris Tang is clinical assistant professor at the New York Medical College and the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary in New York, New York. His paper Beta zone parapapillary atrophy and the velocity of glaucoma progression appears in the May 2010 issue of Ophthalmology. I had the opportunity to talk to Gary Condon about the upcoming ASCRS Glaucoma Day 2011 at the ASCRS ASOA Symposium in Congress in San Diego. Gary, what's your role in Glaucoma Day? The ASCRS has a glaucoma clinical committee, so I help in planning the program as well as being on the committee. And in planning the program, I'm often involved in it as well. Gary, what are you trying to accomplish in this all-day meeting? Our objectives are really to uh, create a program that's aimed for the more comprehensive ophthalmologist. The program content is geared more toward someone who's not involved in subspecialty tertiary glaucoma care. But in day-to-day taking care of patients, many of whom in a general ophthalmic practice have glaucoma, and um, give them a sense, a hands-on sense of how they can go back and feel that they have a better handle on taking care of patients with the latest information, more practical hands-on take-home 
uh, information that they can use day in and day out, and and not something that is sort of being debated in the in the halls of the glaucoma subspecialty arena. Gary, you mentioned that Glaucoma Day is really focused on having participants bring something home, get something very concrete out of it that they can add to their practice. Can you give me an example, you've been both a speaker and an audience member, of something practical that you've taken back? Well, I'll tell you, Josh, the thing that I, the thing that I take home from it, the thing that I take home from it the most is a sense of security, I can I can get a good feel for where I am in the spectrum in terms of the of the decision making processes that we consider when we take care of a patient who for instance is a good old garden variety day in day out glaucoma patient who has cataract. Yes, I'm going to do the patient's cataract. Is it okay to do it without doing anything more right now for the glaucoma? And the best part of the glaucoma day is that we get down to nitty-gritty nuts and bolts and present case histories to the audience with panel discussion and get uh, a consensus of how various panel members or audience folks would handle that particular case. You go home thinking, feeling like you've got a, a handle on the current consensus. Gary Condon, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Anytime. Ask questions of Dr. Tang or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.